Thank you for joining uh, for this episode of the Inner Circle uh, podcast. Uh, my guest this episode is Raj Samani from McAfee. So, Raj, uh, tell everyone you know who you are. Uh, I'm Raj. The official job title is chief scientist, but I always just tell people I'm Raj, and you know my job title doesn't define who I am. So, uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, I like you know I've been into. I guess cybersecurity. I mean, is that even an industry? Is that even a term? Um, I've been into technology for like years and years. I just the difference between me and many other people that are in tech is, I think uh, we need to preserve the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of information. So, I manage the risk for technological devices. I think is the best way to describe it. Okay. Um, all right. So that's a, I think a good place to start with, you know, the way technology has gone, uh, you know, in, in my career, you know, we'll say over the last 20 years, um, that's, I feel like that's, that's significantly harder on, on so many levels. Like, it, you know, first it was kind of eroding, you know, from just the local data center and just, you know, employees only used the company issued, you know, computers with company issued software. And, you know, we kind of chipped away at that with users saying, well, hey, I want to install my own stuff. And then it was, hey, I want to bring my own, you know, mobile phone and my own laptop. And then you kind of fast forward to, you know, the kind of the, the, the cloud revolution and then moving on into like IoT. And it's like everything is connected to everything. Uh, and then if you it, it, it kind of add on top of that, that despite the fact that cybersecurity spending goes up every year. And despite the fact that we've come up with all kinds of great new inventions for cybersecurity over the last 20 years and different strategies and different approaches, the reality is there are still, you know, the, the exploits and attacks also go up every year. So we're, we're, we're sort of like bailing water out of a sinking ship and not really making any progress. So, you know, how do you, how do you kind of put all that together in, in your day to day? So, uh, I mean, you know, I think so. So for me, like the term cybersecurity is just nonsensical, right? Um, you know, there is no such thing as cybersecurity. There's no such thing as cybercrime. You know, we've kind of created this mystic art of um, putting cyber at the beginning of everything and expecting it to be different. Like, you know, there was there was there is crime. That's it. Full stop. Cybercrime is irrelevant because like crimes are done over computers and, and crimes are done physically and you know it just evolves that's all it is um you know war cyber war well listen warfare is warfare right and you know the adversaries will use different channels to be able to conduct their activities if it's deemed more cost effective 
And if it's and also with with the digital component, you get non repudiation. Um, you know, sex, cyber sex. Hey, look, dude, it's still cheating, right? So, like, you know, we, we think it's different. We think what we do is like completely, you know, brand new that's never been thought of. But the reality is, is that it's not. And you know, the, the sooner we begin to kind of move away from this abstract thought of what we do is special, unique, and never been thought of, to, hey, look, you know what? This is a business. This is, you know, this affects the bottom line of an organization. This affects our everyday lives. This is not a computer-related issue. This is a societal issue. Then we can begin to get the recognition that our industry, quite frankly, doesn't have. I mean, you know, we, we're seen as, like, we're not even seen as technology professionals because, you know, like I, I, I make the joke and I say, well, how many CISOs do you know today? Uh, how many CIOs, rather, do you know that were former CISOs? How many CEOs do you know were back into security? Well, look, the answer is none. And so I kind of ask myself a question, why? Because it is, to me, the most important thing for any business, any nation, is making sure that you preserve a you know, CIA of, of, of data. And yet none of us have ever kind of progressed beyond really branching out of our own industry. And so yeah. for me, it's more fundamental than, look, you know, bad things happen. Look, dude, bad things happen all of the time. I mean, you know, den denial of service conditions were smashing shop windows. Well, now they're using computers. That's all it is. It's just an evolution of, of society and the world around us. And our dependence on technology has left us open to vulnerabilities. And those vulnerabilities get exploited by people. Um, you know, across the globe, without really having to leave their own their own premises, their own country, and their own jurisdictional powers. Right. Well, there there, there certainly is an aspect of uh, you know you, when you look at some of the the, the things, wh whether it's you know fake news and trolls online or whatever, and and you think, wow, this is a new thing that's that's happened. Uh, you know, how did how did this start? But if you step back, you think you you realize it always was there all we've done is scale it we've made we've made it so that it's 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 globally accessible in a in a in the blink of an eye but that doesn't change the fact that you know crazy uncle joe was still crazy uncle joe he just didn't have a platform before yeah and, and that and, and that to me is the, the the key thing right technology affords us certain luxuries to do bad things easier than before you know you now have the opportunity to be crazy and have thousands of people listen to what you say and amplify your message. You know, you have the ability to be able to automate that now. You have the ability to be able to have non-repudiation, to absolutely have plausible deniability, to say, hey, look, that wasn't me. I mean, you know, we, we talk about AP, like, for example, we talk about APT threat groups and, you know, fancy bear and, you know, I don't know, charming kitten and all of these wonderful words. And yet, how many nations have actually held their hands up and said, yeah, 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 that, that was us, that was us. Because, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. And so the rules of the game have, have changed in that respect. And also, you can do it a damn sight cheaper. You know, you can go out and conduct a campaign of disruption across an entire nation, and you can literally do it for peanuts. I mean, right. you know, we talk about one of I'm sure we're going to talk about WannaCry, but there's a great case in point in which people weren't allowed or were given medical care because 
of a piece of code. I mean, that's just crazy. You never would have thought of that. And when I started in this industry, you know, security was switching off modems, and now it's it's you know preserving the health service because of a of uh, you know the SMB worm. You know, so so like that's how. I mean, it's just evolving and changing and adapting, but fundamentally we're still not seen as kind of part of the business yet. We're kind of seen as a tech function, but yeah. deeper, much, much deeper. Well, because well, a, a lot of the things, you know, again, the, the things that we sort of assign to, you know, Facebook is bad because of this, or the internet is bad because of this, or technology is bad because of this, are fundamentally human nature. It's not that any of those things are bad. It's it's that there's there's an aspect of human nature that uh, you know is not always uh, beneficent and, and altruistic, and when you when you have a platform, you know you get to see that at, at a much broader scale. I mean, to go back to like the, the the crimes aspect, I mean, I feel like you know when when the internet first kind of exploded, the web first kind of exploded, you had people who probably would never have really considered walking into a bank and robbing a bank like that's just totally outside of their 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 comfort zone or whatever like that's not a thing that would have occurred to them but when they've discovered that by you know typing a few things in their computer connecting to the right network that they could like just connect to the bank and take money <laughs> that seems like less of a crime than the, i mean like you're still robbing the bank but but you know psychologically it, it feels like a different crime um, and so I think that that kind of opened up some doors for some people. And, and like you said, even for the people who were you know, or are like inherent criminals who, who, who would have robbed the bank, it's like, well, why would you go into the bank and put your life at risk and, uh, you know, and, and all kinds of other things if you can just rob a bank on the other side of the world from your couch? Well, and, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there when you talk about risk. I mean, now we asked, um, in fact, we, we did an interview. So, like, you, you know, I've been very uh, active against ransomware. And we, because, you know, the funny thing is, is most digital crime today has a help desk. So we actually contacted, uh, you know, these, these contact email addresses on ransom notes. And we asked the people behind the ransomware, we said, hey, you know, we're students, do you mind answering some questions for a thesis? And actually one in three of them didn't even, like the email addresses were invalid, which suggests to me that they're what we'd call pseudo ransomware. And of the two thirds, I'd say like 10, 15 of them re replied. And we asked, well, you know, why do you do it? And of course, you know, it's not really surprising, but they do it for money. Um, but, you know, not, you know, to build an evil island in the middle of the ocean, but like one guy was just doing it to buy a house for his family. You know, it was like a bona fide job. But the thing that really struck me was, we asked the question, we said, well, are you scared that you're going to get caught? I mean, you know, you are conducting a crime. You are, you know, holding hostage companies and people. And are you not scared that you're going to be arrested? And every single one of them said, no, this is zero risk. Like, like they <laughs> genuinely had no sense of potential danger about carrying out digital crime. And for me, that was like, that's the aha moment. That's the aha moment. Because 
like all of a sudden you kind of ask yourself a question, why is digital crime increasing? I mean, I think in 2013 the FBI reported a decrease in, in um, physical bank robberies because of the digital component. And you ask yourself the question, why? Well, of course, it's back down to what you said, which is the perceived level of risk of carrying out digital-related extortion or crime is so low that it's almost nil. And that's the issue that we face today, you know, and we're trying to fight this 21st century problem with 19th century tools. You know, the fact is, if you come from certain countries, law enforcement have openly said, if the IP address is from this country, we won't even investigate. Well, if you send that message out publicly, guess what's going to happen? Everybody from that country is going to target you, and every VPN provider is going to, you know, every IP address coming from that is going to be used for every single crime in the future because the IPs are going to be masked. And so that herein lies the kind of issue and challenge that we face, which is why are we seeing such a growth in this space? Accessible tools and our reliance on technology means that every system is now online and they don't see a risk at all. I mean, like zero risk. Well, so in the scenario you just described, you know, if you have if you have a country that basically states flat out that, you know, they're not willing to participate. And and, and I remember, you know, even back, you know, 10 years ago when I was you know working on the security analysts uh, side of the fence, that was that was a big issue then in terms of. Even if we could track down, you know, hey, we know that this, you know, we know this attack emanated from, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, the Ukraine. You know, then it's like, okay, well, that's great. We have no jurisdiction in the Ukraine. There's nothing we can do about that, you know, unless we can get the Ukraine to cooperate with us, and you know, and that, and that's that, and that's been the challenge for you know, all along, kind of is like, how do you, because because each country has its own set of laws and its own kind of cultural norms and it's like well how do you work internationally with law enforcement to bring someone to justice for something like that but in the case that you just described where the where where law enforcement just publicly states hey you know what we're not even we're we're just not going to look into it it seems like the only option you then have as say the United States or another country is just block that IP, like block that country. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I would tell you that. Well, so actually, you know, yes, it's actually got harder than that, right? So historically, we had tools like Who Is, and those tools were phenomenal. I mean, in fact, they were the first place we would go to. If we're doing an investigation, we would get a, you know, an IP address or a domain name, and we would use Who Is to identify or get the metadata associated with the per the individuals that registered that domain. Now, we don't expect the bad guys to actually register a malicious domain truthfully, but what that can do is give us metadata to be able to, you know, like for example, you know, look, we've seen this name being used to register other domains for other major campaigns. Now, of course, it's got harder because who is has gone dark. And so now, because of privacy regulations, now, our ability to be able to get access to this data has now gone. So I'll tell you, from from a macro perspective, it's got more difficult. Where we have kind of chinks of light in terms of you know better practices. I mean, you know, we've got law enforcement agencies across the world that are working together with private sector, and you know, I've been a uh, on the uh, I've been an advisor to the European Cybercrime Centre now for years, and you know, we've done multiple activities together where we actively work to 
not only where we can you know get arrests for example the ctb locker affiliate scheme but also do work together to disrupt their infrastructure so for example the bebo and botnet and you've got agencies like in the us and the uk and the netherlands uh, the netherlands by the way big shout out tremendous agency um interpol and other agencies and the romanians as well you know so we are beginning to see better collaboration in terms of law enforcement with law enforcement but law enforcement with private sector but fundamentally it's getting harder because things like the basic tools that we use for investigations are are uh, are being taken away from us and also platforms like tor and you know currency go you know, cryptocurrencies like you know the pseudo anonymity of that makes it more difficult to be able to track so like you throw this all in and of course you you kind of have this bowl of spaghetti of you know some things that are working better and a lot of things that are making it harder for us and so that's kind of the environment that we're in and like it's constantly adapting and evolving and changing like almost day by day you know just today for example uh, you know i was talking about the mage cart group and they now had 926 organizations popped over the last month i mean like that's just incredible and yet it barely gets any coverage because it's just another thousand organizations breached and so it's kind of a really rapidly changing and evolving environment yeah um what uh, i got distracted but one of the things i wanted to uh, i guess come back to is um you know yeah like you know the 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 kind of the push from a regulatory perspective legislative perspective for privacy things like uh you know gdpr um in the eu um you know they do they do kind of change the game some uh and 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 make some things not available um i also though it's like when it comes to like the data breaches i'm jaded now or you know or jaded might not be the right word but like numb like i don't i don't really care you know even if it's a platform i use like when they're like oh you know if they came up tomorrow and said hey you know face facebook was hacked and you know every single you know username and password was you know i i i might go change my password <laughs> but but in general i'm like i'm i i assume at this point because there are so many data breaches and so many companies that i've either done business with or tangentially done business with have been breached or compromised in some way i'm like i'm sure my information is already out there somewhere like it's not like it, i almost consider privacy just to be like a, a facade at this point like you know, like a, well the, the data all the data is just out there you know it's not even hidden anymore yeah that's yeah i i, I agree i get it i understand i think you're uh, you're not alone in that thinking the challenge that we face though is is that if that's the way the world thinks then we failed i mean we have failed as a society and as an industry that if we deem it acceptable to have a world in which you just accept that information is about you is stolen and and accessed by third parties then we failed as an industry i mean look I, I I don't for one second believe we can live in a world in which there are no breaches because that's just ridiculous right of course you know the adversary invests and they make hundreds of millions of dollars and they will continue to find new and novel ways to be able to compromise computers across the world 
What I'm concerned about is I want a world in which we make it more difficult for them. And, you know, like the big question, like, 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 okay, if, if, a, if a brief notification hits your, hits your, hits your, uh, I was going to say your doormat, but your inbox, and it says, hey, look, information about you has been accessed by a malicious third party, um, you know, this information is stolen about you is X, Y, and Z. The question that I want answered, and I think all of us have to ask, is was appropriate due diligence taken? And, and that for me is the crucial part because, look, I accept data about me being accessed by unauthorized third parties where, you know, the level of capability was such, you know, the walls were high enough. But what I won't accept is if that company left the back door and the front door open and had a neon sign which says, welcome to Raj's information. Because that for me, if we accept that, then we really are in trouble. And to me, there's no nuance today in the, in the reporting and in the breaches and everything that we talk about. What we, what we talk about is company was breached, what was the malware and who was the actor? What we don't talk about is more important, which was, did the company do enough? And, and, and that's a subjective question. I think question. that comes out way later after we don't care anymore as the general public. Like, you know, months after the fact, as the investigation goes on, you know, like, you know, eventually, you know, someone issues a report after a lengthy investigation and says, okay, this is actually what happened at Equifax. But by that point, that's not the news cycle anymore. We don't give a shit about Equifax anymore. Well, you, you say that, but today um, a company was fined 183 million pounds. True. I think almost 12 months after an initial breach, because um, the Information Commissioner's Office deemed that they, you know, um, uh, didn't meet the expectations or the requirements of GDPR. So, and, and, and you know, whilst we can sit and argue the, the size of a fine, because to me it's significant, that is, for me, a major sea of change, because now all of a sudden, you know, regulators are now looking at whether companies did enough. Right. And if they the fines aren't paltry. They are significant fines. Right. Well, it's one of the things that I actually, you know, my, 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 my first sort of gut reaction when I heard about GDPR in the first place was like, oh, God, we need another regulation. Like, we've already got, you know, SOX and HIPAA and PCI and GD, uh, uh, GLBA or G, uh, I'm mix, mixing that one up anyway. No, Graham Leach, Blaley X. That's right. Um, Anyway, so it's like, do we need another one? Like, you know, they're, they're, they're all sort of the same and slightly different. And But then the, the thing that I actually really appreciate about GDPR is exactly that, is that it actually seems to have some teeth, <laughs> whereas the other ones are sort of like, hey, we really wish you would do this. You know, please don't break the rules. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, you know, they, like we, we've got to begin to reward companies that do what, take take what we do seriously and we've got to, and, and companies that don't, then, you know, they'll face the fines. I mean, like we, um, we, we found a vulnerability in um, a IoT padlock called BoxLock. And, you, you know, like, like usually when, when my team find vulnerabilities, um, I mean, I'm happy, but I know what's coming, right? I mean, I'm going to be in a, in a pitch battle discussing with lawyers when we can disclose and, you know, it's coming up against the head, uh, the deadline for DEFCON or for Blackout or RSA when we're going to do the initial, initial uh, notification and disclosure. And, and BoxLock 
for the first, like for me, one of the first companies that like I was really surprised where we, we contacted them, and I think it was like eleven days, I think in total, maybe less than that, um, from us initially disclosing the vulnerability because we could basically unlock the padlock over Bluetooth Low Energy without any form of valid validation or verification. For a padlock, it's a pretty big deal, right? I can unlock yeah. the padlock, and yeah. within eleven days, they took the the, the took the note they took the notification. They analyzed the vulnerability, they developed a fix, they QA'd the fix, they rolled it out and had it in production all in 11 days. And, and, and actually what was really great was, I, I even tweeted about the vulnerability, they retweeted me. And like, you know, like, I was like, hang on, a company that I've, and that we've shared about a vulnerability are actively retweeting the fact that we found a vulnerability. Like, that's never been done before, surely. And, and, and I remember I, I, I spoke at a conference, um, I think it was in Amsterdam, and I said, look, I'm not, I've got no you know, monetary interest in BoxLock, but if you want an IoT padlock, buy from this company because here's a company that takes security seriously. And we, we've got to begin to reward companies that do these things really, really well. Whereas what we do today is kind of bash everybody with the same brush or bash everyone with the same hammer, which is your crap, your crap, your crap, your crap. And then we go on Twitter with our digital pitchforks, flame them as much as we can, and then move over to the next one. Well, actually, right. I'd like to see a time where our industry kind of say, hey, look, here's a company that have done a really great bang-up job. And not only that, but we would like for you to acknowledge the fact that they take security seriously because it's important. I mean, if you buy a padlock and you can unlock it via BLE, that's an issue. But the fact is you can't do that anymore with these guys. Well, and that's a really good point. I mean, I, I, I completely agree that we, we you know, bash them all with the same hammer, paint them all with the same brush, however you want, you know, whatever, you know, uh, uh, phrase you want to use. But because, you know, it's easy to it, you know you just look and you say oh all of these companies were compromised or all of these companies you know created apps that had vulnerabilities that were exploited um but what you just described i think is a very important uh nuance or an important thing to to uh publicize and 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 make sure people are aware of which is okay yes they were all breached or yes they all created you know vulnerable apps but you know who hasn't and uh, you know what's what's important is the response. And I've actually seen that discussion some lately about you know data breaches in general. It's like, look, like, you know, like you said earlier, like you're never going to stop every data breach. That's just not. It's not even. It's not even a goal. We're not even trying to do that. Like we're we're, we're realistic enough to know that's not that's not possible. But you can make it as hard as possible. Like you said, you raise you raise the bar. Um, make the 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 cost of uh, entry uh, prohibitive and and try to prevent as much of that as possible. But the important part is when you're target and you get breached, when you're Equifax and you get breached, when you're you know whatever thousand other much smaller companies and you get breached, it's how quickly do you respond? How effectively do you respond? How transparent and honest with you know the people who are affected are you in your response? And did you know? Do you learn from your mistakes and fix it so that you know? Hopefully, that doesn't happen again. As opposed to companies that deflect and avoid and try to hide the fact that they were breached at all, and then and then you know, there's the 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 
infamous line that everyone uses about how it was a very a, a very advanced uh, you know a, a, a advanced persistent threat that was you know beyond and it's usually like you know a simple like buffer overflow or something that you know <laughs> they, they, they missed there's nothing advanced about it at all yeah the word sophisticated is overused in our industry it's way too much but I mean I think that's the key right is you know like I said we're not going to stop stop every data breach but if you've been popped because you have had an open RDP connection from the, to the outside world, like really, come on. Look, I can tell you three three eight nine. Do a scan, and, and and make sure that you're not there. And I think like that for me is the nuances that we need to start looking at, rather than you know trying to beat every organization up that suffers a breach. And I always say to people, look, you know, don't judge me on, you know, like like people say, oh, you know. McAfee's like X or McAfee's like Y, and I said, look, you know, every every software product, every every device across the world, in some way, shape, or form, will have flaws. I mean, my mobile phone, like, is made by a manufacturer that everybody thinks is the greatest tech company in the world, and yet it has problems. Um, but what I do is I judge that company on how they resolve those issues. And same with a breach. You know, if there's been a breach, tell me about it. And if there's been information about me stolen, tell me what that is. And more importantly, demonstrate to me that you took the appropriate measures to protect my information. And if you did it, if you did, then I accept that, look, that's just the cost of doing business in the 21st century and help me to try to um, mitigate the risk of my life being further compromised. That's fine. I can accept that. What I won't accept is for you to hide it. What I won't accept is for you to deny it. What I won't accept is for you to turn around and mask it under the guise of, it was an advanced attack from a nation state. Hey, look, big news flash. Most nation states don't develop good offensive cyber tools. They don't. Right? The, 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 the issue is, is of course, you know, people believe that you know, the urban myths of nation states are, are the most sophisticated in the world. Well, that's complete rubbish. Yes, there are some threat actors operating under the guise of nation states that may have a great deal of capability, but by and large, most of it's all outsourced. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, in that whole exchange that we just talked about, you know, the company gets breached, and you know, your data has been compromised, and and you you know you, you you hope that the company that you trust will will be honest with you about what happened and you know what you can do to mitigate the 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 fallout and the risk. Um, but. All of that, so all of that kind of the, the the data breach side of you know I hope that you know when I make a purchase from Target Online or I'm doing stuff with my bank I, I hope they're protecting my data and I ex I have expectations that they're protecting my data, and then the other side of the fence which you know we started to talk about before we before we started recording the podcast which is you've got kind of the Facebook side of the world Facebook and to a lesser extent LinkedIn or, or Twitter but really Facebook I think is 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 the the primary one and I don't I don't mean to like you know just uh, you know just bash Facebook I mean I, I, I don't have a serious issue with Facebook personally but um, it is it, it there, it's just undeniably the platform where, where this happens the most which is you're willingly sharing all of the data all the data that you're hoping that the bank will protect <laughs> and that target will protect like you're kind of giving it away for free on the other side and i and i realize you're not you know hopefully not you know out there publishing your credit card number and your and your social security number on facebook I mean, although i've seen it it happens um you know it's not to that level 
But, you know, it, it, it sort of drives me crazy because, I mean, I use Facebook a very specific way, you know, from a business perspective and a little bit from a personal perspective. Um, but I'm not uh, like I don't I don't do the, the, the quizzes and the quizzes drive me crazy. And I keep trying to tell all my friends and family, I'm like, look, that's just information gathering. Like, <laughs> you know, when the, when there's a whole like take this quiz to find out which Harry Potter house you, you know, you're in or take this quiz to find out, you know, what kind of, you know, animal you would be if you weren't a human or whatever silly quiz they have and then they just ask you 100 questions about what was your first pet's name and, and what what was the name of your high school and what street did you grow up on it's like can't you see that that, that that that's just it's just a surreptitious way to get your information well you're now getting to the nub of of true privacy um you know i always say to people look i I'm happy to give away my personal data, but what I'd like in return are three fundamental tenets. I want transparency. I want you to tell me what you're going to do with that data, all right? Who are you going to share that with? Why, you know, what are you going to do with that information? And and, and it's not just like, like the Facebook platforms, but also it's the apps that I download as well. Like, I don't know what information clash of clans collects about me i have no idea right but i but i you know for me to continue playing the game i want to know you know i also want informed consent i want you to explain to me like not buried under page 74 of the terms of service what exactly is going to happen here and you know i and i wrote a blog about sonos sonos modified their privacy policy in which they said, you know, we're going to be capturing transactional data about you. And I remember, like, because I was a customer, and I said, look, you know, I've, I've invested heavily in your company. Can you tell me, if I don't want to give away this information, what my options are? And I think on the blog, they said, well, then your devices stop working. But like, I'm sorry, that, that to me is unacceptable. And then the, the third thing is value, right? I can give you my data if you give me value in return. And for most people on this planet, Having access to um, old classmates, i.e. via Facebook, or old girlfriends or old boyfriends, that's enough value. But for me, personally, it's not. But those three tenets are entirely subjective and they're entirely contextual. And I think if we look at the world of privacy moving forward, these are the three things that each and every single one of us needs to judiciously question every single time you enter your mother's maiden name or you enter your credit card number or whatever else that is that you want to do right it's like i don't have a digital assistant in my home because i don't want a device with a microphone always on because for me the value that they bring doesn't merit the intrusion that it basically has so i've made that conscious call for 99 percent of the world i'm a complete privacy nut and then, but that's too much right but i would argue that they don't have transparency nor have they given informed consent about what's happening with that information so they've kind of made that decision with only one of the three tenants right carried. and so we've got to start to educate people and explain to them look dude this is this is great that you can say hey you know sandra or whatever the name of the assistant is tell me a joke but guess what 
that's listening to you and your family. So is that something you really want to do? And if it is, great. Knock yourself out. If it's well, not... And, you know, so I, I, I mean, I have, I've, you know, it's sort of the virtue of kind of what I do in terms of reviewing stuff. But, I mean, I've got all the things, really. I mean, I've got Alexas around the house. I've got, you know, I, I had the Microsoft, uh, had the Harman Kardon uh, Evoke speaker that has Cortana built in. I've got that one. I've got, you know, HomePods. You know, so they have, we've got them all. Um, and, and, and I and I, I don't disagree with with what you're saying. And in fact, a lot of the times, you know, I I, I get like if you let if you let the Amazon Fire TV go to screensaver, it like keeps popping up at the bottom. Uh, you know, try saying this to Alexa. You know, trying to give you like a, like hints about you know in ways to interact. Like, try saying, tell me a joke. Try saying, hey, what's a good you know mojito recipe, or whatever. And uh, you know, the, a lot of those things, I'm like. I'm sort of like, well, I don't really, I don't really want Alexa to tell me a joke. I think that you know, for me, I think that's kind of a dumb use of the technology. Like, I don't need, I don't need Alexa to tell me a joke. That's fine. Um, but my 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 basic thing with that uh, conceptually, and that I've told people is similar to what you just said. Like, there is a trade-off. Like, I don't want, like, for for example, I don't like to use uh, the Google. Google Home or whatever, like I, you know, my 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 son has one or whatever, but I, that's not I I don't I don't trust Google with my information. Apple, I have a level of trust with, so Apple, I you know, like I, I'm I'm okay with, like when it comes to like you know on on my on my iPhone, you know, do I want to share my calendar and do I want to you know share share these things you know with this company. I feel like there is a trade-off, or even like you know, with Cortana on my on on a Windows PC, it's like I want Cortana to have access to what I'm saying in email because I like the feature where it automatically builds in reminders and says, "Hey, hey, by the way, you told Raj that on Monday you were going to record a podcast. Don't forget about that." And it's like I th I think that's a great use of technology, but there has to be a trade-off. Like I have to be willing to open up. I have to be willing to share that information with Microsoft in the first place and trust that it will be protected and, and not abused. And so that's a relationship that I've you know, consciously decided to engage in. And, uh, and, and for the most part, I don't necessarily feel that one is better than the other or, you know, I mean, I do to a, a little, a, a small extent, but for the, for the most part, I think they're all sort of the same you just have to pick your poison or, I mean, or don't pick one at all. But if you want to pick one, just, just understand what that trade-off is that yes, you have this always on microphone. They can tell you all day that they're not listening, but it seems like every other week there's a story about, oops, Amazon was actually listening. <laughs> Even though they said they weren't listening, turns out they were, um, and, you know, those types of things. I know all kinds of people who are paranoid about Facebook and I don't even have like an always on microphone for Facebook, but like, it just seems like you could just have a conversation, like you and I can just have a conversation right now about golf clubs and all of a sudden I'll start getting Facebook ads for, you know, tailor-maids. And it's like, well, what the hell? How the <laughs> like I had a verbal conversation about golf clubs. How did that all of a sudden show up in my Facebook? Well, and, and, and I think that's what, and that's all we're asking for as a society, which is, you know, those three things, you know, just, just, just tell me, that's it. And, you know, I, I think the kind of lure of free is what's driving this kind of head in the sand approach. I mean, we were in um, 
we were at Westfield Shopping Centre a couple of years back, and I remember there was a chocolate company giving away free chocolate. And of course, like my, my kids love, like there's two things I love more than, than me, which is the word free and the word chocolate in the same sentence. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, all right, let's go and get some chocolate, Dad. So I was like, all right, you know, free chocolate, why not? Um, and the queue was like, I don't know, like 40 people deep. And so I kind of pushed in at the front because I was like, I'm not going to queue up for this. And, and I just wanted to ask the question. I wasn't trying to like get free chocolate for everybody else. And I said, look, what, what, what's the story here, right? You, you can't be giving away free chocolate, surely. There's something in it. And I said, oh, no, no, we're just asking you to fill out this small form. And then, of course, you can take part in wonderful games like throwing sacks of stuff at various different multicolored objects. So I was like, right, and you get free chocolate. And I went, okay. And the form was like name, address, personal data, contact details, demographics. I was like, really? You want me to give you all of this information for a piece of chocolate? And they're like, I go, where's your privacy policy? And like, they, they, they said I was behind the booth. So I walked around behind the booth. It was like a scene from Harry Potter, you know, like cobwebs and <laughs> and, and And it was just like, it was that realization when you kind of, I stood there like shocked. Like, and, and, and I remember saying to my wife, like, I genuinely feel like my entire career has been a waste of time. Because everything, because I speak, I speak at conferences, I, I, I tweet, I, you know, I, I'm on TV, I'm on radio, I'm in newspapers, all, all sorts of stuff. Just telling people, look, this shit is real, right? This stuff is impacts your lives. You know, you need to look at this not as an IT-related issue, but deeper than that. And, and, and nobody listens. Like, like nobody listens. And I, I remember sitting there, like, like. Like, of course, we didn't get the free chocolate, but I just said, look, something has to change. Like, how do we begin to change the shit? How do we begin to change people's perceptions about what we do? And, you know, I think, like, that to me was a, really a fundamental shift in how I began to approach things, um, you know, rather than being polite and kind and asking people. It's more, right. look, a little bit more vocal and, you know, um, I co-founded this thing called No More Ransom with Kaspersky and uh, the Dutch National High Tech Crime Unit and Europol. We've now got like 100 plus partners where we actively go out to disrupt the cyber criminal industry. You know, we started to do botnet takedowns. We started to do a lot of work. And I was like, look, you know, it's not going to work if I politely tell people, hey, don't do this or don't you know, because let's be honest, Tony. You know, the number of people that are going to listen to this that are outside our industry is going to be limited. And right. the people listening to this are going to agree with us. They're not the people that need this message. It's the other 99.99% of the population. And they're not going to listen to this. So what do we do to keep the world safer? What do we do to make it harder? We go after the bad guys. We work with law enforcement. We disrupt criminal networks. We do work that lead to arrests. We tell criminals, if you work in this industry, we will work with law enforcement and you will get arrested, right? Because, you know, we've tried so much security awareness, security culture, don't click on links, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? That shit still happens. So we've got to begin to fight this, this issue in a different way rather than politely asking people not to open the link, not to open a link or leave the front door open when, you know, somebody's walking through without a badge. 
Yeah. Sorry. And a lot, of, like, a lot of that, you know, you know, you've made the point a number of times that, you know, it, 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 we're, we, we focus on the cyber part, we focus on the you know, technology part, but, uh, you know, fundamentally it comes, it, it is just human nature. It just comes down to human nature. And, and the, you know, some of the best cyber attacks um, are the ones that just exploit human nature. You know, like if I, if I send you a thing and I say, you know, like that when, when it first started, uh, and so now it's old and people recognize it uh, more or less. But when it first started, the the uh, the spam phishing attacks that uh, appeared to be like they were from UPS or from FedEx saying that you had a package, like that was brilliant. That was, that was a brilliant attack method because most people would you know would be like, oh okay, you know, I, I got to open this and see what this package is, um, you know, and then t- and it takes a while for them that for them that to catch on and for people to go, oh, okay, I, that, that's probably fake. I should avoid that. Um, you know, but it's just human nature. And it's, you know, it's like when you, the, the leaving a compromised, you know, USB thumb drive in a parking lot, it's like someone's going to pick it up and plug it in. They just are. Yeah. And, and, and actually, you know, you're referring to, so the psychologist Caldini refers to six subconscious levers that are used to influence people and you know i've done some work uh to map out email spam campaigns against these subconscious levers that are used to influence and so if you look at the makeup of emails today they you know in very in many cases they actually exploit our subconscious to influence us to perform a certain action which may be deemed as unsafe. And so, you know, these emails just aren't kind of thought up from, from nowhere. They use these these fundamental principles that that you can use to influence anybody. And like I always joke with my wife and I say to her, I learned how to influence people um, and how to get anything I want, but after I was married. So like <laughs> She doesn't find it funny, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think it, uh, it's a, a, a fair point to, to start to wrap up on. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like the initiative of what of what you're doing. And I think it is, I think for both for both consumers and the criminals and would be criminals, I think that there's tremendous value in being able to actually start holding, you know, either, you know, companies accountable, like we talked about in the case of, you know, GDPR, having some teeth and, and actually finding companies for not at least doing, you know, kind of best practices and what you expect them to do as a, as a, as a baseline. But then also, you know, those, those people who are like, well, I wouldn't actually rob a bank, but I'm not robbing a bank. I'm just typing some code and money shows up in my account. Um, you know, if you if you start actually being able to find and prosecute some of those people, then other people who are considering that will be oh okay the risk isn't zero, <laughs> you know the the risk might still be like uh, acceptable but at least it's not it's it's not zero so I, I have to think harder about do I want to do this because there there could be consequences. And you know each and every single person listening to this podcast, I would ask you. For two things. There's only two things you need to do. Number one, just somebody that you that's not in the industry, just ask them to listen. Just just a simple thing. Um, because people need to begin to understand why we do what we do, right? Why do we 
do this this career? Why do we do everything we can to keep you and your family safe when you know the level of understanding and the level of awareness is almost zero? And and the second thing is, and for me it's crucial, is you know just put a tweet out about no more ransom, no more ransom.org. It's a free portal. It's a free website. You don't even have to be a McAfee or a Kaspersky or a Semantic or anybody's customer. And if anybody, you or your family or your friends ever hit by ransomware, we don't want you to pay. Because if you pay, guess what? It motivates the criminal to do more ransomware and more crime. Here we've, give, we've got over um, decryptors for over 100 ransomware families that we give away free of charge. We don't track your IP address. We don't even ask you for your email address. It's totally free of charge. And that's no more ransom.org. And if we can begin to get people to listen, to understand, you know, about this industry, what we do and why we do it, we can perhaps begin to change certain behaviors. And, on, and I hope No More Ransom is a real life practical example where we can begin to change behaviors. If we get companies and people to not pay the ransom, guess what? They're not going to do ransomware. If there's no profit in it, they won't do it. So for me, those are just the two things that I would ask. It's just a really simple thing. Put it on Twitter. You can at me, Raj underscore Samani, if you have any questions. But please, please, please you know, share the work that this industry is doing and point to repositories like No More Ransom. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, as you were talking, I, like I've got I've got tweet deck open and a, a tweet just popped up from from Rapid Seven, letting me know that uh, we have T minus twenty six days until Black Hat. So <laughs> uh, that that's coming up quickly. Will you be in Vegas for Black Hat? Uh, I might not, but my team are. We've got um, actually I think it might be DefCon actually, but we've got we've got some pretty pretty tasty disclosures coming up. In fact, one of them is really tasty. Um, so I'll send you a DM um, once we get that ready to release, and you can see what that is. It's it's going to be explosive, awesome. in more ways than one. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll look forward to that. But uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining me. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, it's a, a great conversation. So I will uh, talk to you later. Thanks very much, Ben. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts.